The following audio is from Restoration Southside Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where our mission is to restore people and places through outreach, authenticity, and sacrifice. For more information, visit RestorationSouthside.org. To proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Strangers shall stand and tend your flocks. Foreigners shall be your plowmen and vine dressers. But you shall be called the priests of the Lord. They shall speak of you as the ministers of our God. You shall eat the wealth of the nations, and in their glory you shall boast. Instead of your shame, there shall be a double portion. Instead of dishonor, they shall rejoice in their lot. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess a double portion. They shall have everlasting joy. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. I will faithfully give them their recompense, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Their offspring shall be known among the nations, and their descendants in the midst of the peoples. All who see them shall acknowledge them, and they are an offspring of the Lord has blessed. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. If you are in kindergarten through fifth grade and you would like to go to children's church, please join our volunteers over by the Kids Zone sign. If it's your child's first time in children's church, please go with them so we can get them checked in. Thank you, Mary. Well, we are rounding out our time in Isaiah in our Advent series. Advent is not just about Christmas, but about uh, the waiting of Jesus, his coming. And we wait for his coming, uh, just as uh, the people in the Old Testament did for him to come once, and he's coming again, where we are now, fixed in history. So we'll finish Isaiah this morning. But uh, just to give you kind of a horizon, a game plan, we'll be starting a new sermon series next week in the book of Exodus as we see the people of God journey from the newly uh, delivered uh, plan from Egypt. And there's really no greater text for this morning than uh, Isaiah 61 uh, because it talks about and addresses finishing one thing and beginning something new standing at kind of a crossroads, and that's what we'll look at this morning. But to begin, I want to turn our attention to the NPR podcast, This American Life, hosted by Ira Glass. And Ira Glass tells stories purposely not of famous people, uh, but actually of just normal people, everyday things and everyday life and the depth in all of it and the meaning in all of it. And there's one episode entitled Road Trip. And you can see it in front of us. But in that episode, Road Trip, there's this exchange and words by Hourglass. And it says this. It's hard 
after on the road again and six days on the road and hit the road jack and road runner and born to run and running on empty and life in the fast lane and lost highway and highway one revisited after let's get away from it all after easy rider and thelma and louise and lost in america and too many road movies to name or even remember after jack kerouac and the route 66 and as long as we're at this, after Huck Finn and the journals of Lewis and Clark, after all of that, it is hard for an American to just hit the road without some expectations. Take Jamie. After his mother died, after three months of visiting her in the hospital and three years in which she'd been sick, he hit the road in the same car that used to be hers. The words of Jamie is this. I kept trying to be like, you know, what is the realization I'm going to come to? Or what is the feeling I'm going to settle on? And that was what I kept feeling was like, am I feeling something? Am I experiencing something? Ira Glass responds and says, really? You felt like, okay, I'm on this big road trip. I'm supposed to have a revelation. And Jamie, to that thought, responds, yeah, that's what I thought. You know, I was hoping that I would, yeah, be somewhere. I'd step out of the car and experience the grandeur of the place and be like, yeah, this is what life is. And this is like my mom dying. And this is like where I am in life. And you know, but it didn't happen like that. And the narrator of the podcast uh, says, Ira Glass says, and puts a bow on it, any road trip is going to leave, a, uh, any road trip is going to feel longer than you think it will. And you'll be tired, and you won't get a meal exactly when you're hungry, and you'll never find a bed exactly when you want to go to sleep. And you're probably not going to find out what it is that you got on the road to find out in the first place. And you know all that. You know all that is going into it. And you still, we all still bind to the cliche about road trips. That what a road trip stands for is hope. Hope. That somewhere, anywhere is better than here. That somewhere on the road, I will turn into the person I want to be. I'll turn into the person I believe I could be, that I am. And come Memorial Day, we hit the road. You, me, and our whole great nation with high hopes and no expectation for the future. Ira Glass tells a story in this episode, it was longer, about the road trip. But all of us cling to road trips because it, it talks about hope. And we all cling to the thought of a new year and celebrating it because there's this something in it that's promised. This hope-soaked journey that we ask much of in a new year. This, this idea of discovery, of new horizons, of thresholds, of, of dreams being fulfilled. And this morning, the thought of hope for the people in the Old Testament 700 years before Jesus came is the same hope that we have also. It's the same hope that we stand 
and we cling to because the words that they had hope in, we have hope in. And it's not the famous words that we're not going to usurp and apply to this coming year that Isaiah 61 says, which is the, the year of the Lord's favor. We're not going to name and claim that. But, but, but what, what we are going to cling to is maybe something different where it says how the Lord is making his people oaks of righteousness, that he's going to plant it and grow it and all to show and be for his glory. And so with that in mind, let's look at Isaiah 61 and we'll see three things. We'll see the pleasure of God, the people of God, and then third, the promise of God. And then it will find our hope in Isaiah 61. But let's pray this morning as we study God's word together. The hopes and the fears of all the years are met in you tonight, Jesus. That's what we sang about a week ago. And we really, really want the hope and the fears of 2023 to be met in you this morning. And so, Jesus, as we come to some ancient words that speak about the coming servant, the coming Messiah, that you yourself fulfilled, would you meet us exactly where we are and flood us with the power of your Spirit? Because, Lord, we need it. We need it as we look on the horizon but also, Lord, you've promised it. And so we beg for you to be here this morning by the power of your spirit, because if not, this is all for naught. We pray this, Christ, in your name, because you reign. Amen. So first, in Isaiah 61, we see the, the pleasure of God. Isaiah is an Old Testament prophetic book, and like a lot of Old Testament prophetic books, it is a Canadian accent, an Australian accent. It ends on the up. Phonetically, it rises at the end. And so we see that happen. We see the message of Isaiah in the beginning talk about judgment because of the wickedness of the nation and the poor leadership of the kings. And at the very end, we see kind of in the last half hope. Isaiah is giving the people of God hope and a message of deliverance. And what that what that message is, it's good news that, that they will feel God's pleasure, that God will pour himself out and God will be so pleased and they get to be the beneficiaries of it. That's the second half of Isaiah, that God is going to be like that Canadian accent. It's, it's going to end well, end on the up. God will lavish his pleasure on his people. Uh, I'm not alone in this, so I'll set the scene for you. Uh, but for me, I open my computer. I click on the browser. I go to the search tab and I type in FA and the, the, that tab fills out itself with facebook.com. I hit enter. I go to Facebook and I go to that little house, the icon on the top of Facebook, which is Facebook Marketplace, and I click it. And I there have entered my playground. There is no thing that I cannot find and find great joy and pleasure in. I'm free when I go to Fisk Marketplace. There's no boundaries. It's wide open spaces. Room to make a big mistake. Um, I love Fisk Marketplace because I'm, I, I'm frugal. At my best, I'm frugal. And at my worst, I'm cheap. 
And both those things know no limit in Facebook Marketplace. Those deep desires are fully met and find pleasure there. And, and that's attesting to something inside of us all. And, and it's that we find most pleasure when a deep desire in us is met. When it's acknowledged and, and, and shown and referenced as good, we find pleasure. When a deep desire in us is met, and it's not because we're so special. And it's certainly not because Facebook Marketplace is so special. It's, it's because that, that resembles something in us that God has laid deep inside of the fabric of our humanity. That to be human is to have desire, to long for something. And to be human it actually is to feel pleasure when that thing is met. Because that's something that God himself has. And God lacks nothing. But for him, he feels pleasure when a deep desire in him is met. So the question is, what pleases God? What pleases God? In Luke 2, we hear about this angelic announcement when Jesus is about to be born. And the message of the angels says this, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. That God gives Jesus, and Jesus is this peace for the people because God is with his people, and he's pleased to do it. In Matthew 3, we hear about Jesus' baptism, and that God affirms and, and lavishes his love on his son. This is my beloved son, God says, with whom I'm pleased. That God looks at Jesus and says, I am so pleased with him. Galatians 1, that Paul writes and says that I was killing Christians with joy and fervor. And then he says, God was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, that God uses a man with bloodied hands to go and further the mission and the cause of Christ. Colossians 1, that at the person of Jesus, in him, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Want to know what God's like? Look at Jesus. You get the picture. What pleases God is that God loves to move towards his people and showcase before his people and get involved with his people in such a way that his gracious redemption and the activity of those things are on display. That God feels pleasure when actually you get to benefit from the benefit from the fact that he is redeeming every part of you. And that's what we see in Isaiah 61, that he goes exactly to where his people are and he takes the broken pieces of their lives, the things that are marked by uh, thwarted plans and messiness and disenchantment and confusion, those places he feels pleasure in getting involved in. And actually, those are the places that God's grace has had its sight set on since the foundation of the world. And Isaiah writes about that. And in verse 1, he says this. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me when it talks about the person of Jesus, the coming Messiah, the future hope. That person will say this. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Hope is reality. 
for them and for us. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. He's made to be, uh, make things whole, to proclaim liberty to the captives and opening the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the floodgates of blessing open up, and the day of vengeance of our God, that God will exact all that is wrong and unjustly done to comfort those who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. All these are descriptors that are attesting to the fact that God feels pleasure when he doesn't waste the pain of his people. That God feels pleasure when he gets involved in your life and actually the things and the pains of your life aren't wasted. And they're used. And actually those are the places in which beauty comes from. God feels pleasure in that. Which is why we look at the end of the drama of scripture in Revelation 21. And when God gets the final word, what do we see? No more crying, no more pain, no more tears in our eyes, no more death, no more mourning. The pleasure of God is when this curse of sin is rolled back, and it's rolled back not to give a blank slate for us, but it's rolled back so that the things that are planted where the old and the bad and despair and the hideousness was is now things of beauty and of meaning and of glory. God feels pleasure in that. And, and remember, Isaiah 61, it's not light, kind of lofty romantic stuff. It's, it's the place of the hard knocks. It's the place of the valley. The poor, the brokenhearted, the prisoner, the mourner, the faint spirit. God is identifying with these people and getting involved with these people. This week, a spouse of a counselor told me that uh, the week after the holidays, every year is the same in that there's the influx of new requests, new patients, new meetings, people longing for something to be righted and explored and articulated. And so with that in mind, it's probably not hard to answer this question. If God feels pleasure in, 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 in not wasting the pain of his people, where do you long for God to feel pleasure? Where do you long for God to get involved in your life so that your pain isn't wasted? After the holidays, the influx of calls and appointments, we want things to be righted and articulated and made whole and healed. Where do you long for your pain not to be wasted? because that's exactly where God feels pleasure. Isaiah goes on to talk about the pleasure of God to go on to talk about the people of God. It's the second idea. And he shifts from uh, talking about what pleases God to how the people of God look like and what their lives look like now that they've gotten the beautiful redemptive work of God in their life. And there's a shift from God's work to now our, our empowered work. And it says this in verse 3 and on. It says that God's people, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. 
they shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. All the Israelites knew was destruction and devastation. It goes on, the strangers shall stand and tend your flocks. Foreigners shall be your plowmen and your vine dressers. But you shall be called priests of the Lord. They shall speak of you as the ministers of our God. You shall eat the wealth of the nations, and in their glory you shall boast. Instead of your shame, there shall be a double portion. Instead of dishonor, they shall rejoice in their lot. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess a double portion. They shall have everlasting joy. All of these things were to mark God's people because he's saying, I'm promising good for you. Remember Isaiah, the upswing, the Canadian accent. This is what that upswing is. You get to benefit And God is involving himself in your life. And because of that, the people of God will make everything around them better. Just as they benefit from God's activity in their life, the people around the beneficiaries are beneficiaries. There's a ripple effect to God's grace in the life of his people. The scope of the gospel is that God does not just come to save you from your sin. The scope of the gospel is that God has come and involved and paid for sin fully to make you to be the very thing you always were meant to be. Adam and Eve were tasked with um, vice regency is a fancy word, but taking care of God's stuff, making it more beautiful, showing that actually everything that we see and know belongs to him. And we get to be involved. Like God has given us the task of making his world beautiful. And the scope of the gospel is that God doubles down and says, you are supposed to do that. And the way you do that is loving God and loving neighbor and them getting the benefits that you have received. You you don't get to be tribal or looking at outsiders, but you yourself give just as you have been given to. And we do that because we mimic God. When God really grabs a hold of you, you begin to mimic him, copy him, do what he does, feel as he feels, have a disposition as he's deposed, has a disposition of. My grandfather was a a Hall of Fame football coach, and he coached a lot of places and was well-known. And and there was one time where he was given, um, this well-respected coach was given the pregame speech to rile up, rah-rah the troops, getting this team ready. And, and his team wasn't looking at him with fire in their eyes, nodding along. They were laughing at him. And they were laughing at this coach, and, and they kind of kept on laughing, and, and kept on laughing. And finally, all the eyes of the players weren't on the coach, but, but past the coach. Uh, because this Hall of Fame coach had my, at the time, two-and-a-half-year-old older brother, mimicking and copying every single mannerism and hand in the pocket, hand on the chin, wag of the finger that my grandfather was doing. Everything this older person, this leader was doing, this little person was taking up himself. And Isaiah 61 is saying, 
Listen, when you get to be the beneficiaries and the recipients of God's pleasure towards you, what you do is you mimic it. You do everything that you have received. You imitate it because your heart has been captured by someone and therefore you go and you show the world. And actually, as we are imitators of God, as we, we imitate the thing, the, pe- the person that captures our heart, King Jesus, graciously, that, that's, that's a marker in our Christian journey. Sometimes in your life, you wonder, is, is it really, is it working? Right? Is this Christian thing actually working? Is ground being taken? And it's not in the sense of, am I getting better? Am I curbing sin? Am I outdoing sin? It's really a question of, Jesus, is this worth it all? And, and, and the way that you can answer that question is a few things, but one of which is that you get to know grace is working in your life when you begin to have the same dispositions of God and feelings of God. Your actions may not be changing uh, all in all in a particular season, you begin to have the emotions of God toward those things. And you begin to mimic God and look at things like he looks at them. The people of God in Isaiah and the people of God in Chattanooga on January 1st have the same ideal, and it is this. Have a heart that's captured by God because he's done such a work in your life that the people closest to you get to be the beneficiaries of it. Because we have joined him on this, this journey of redeemingly reclaiming creation. One person put it this way. Here is an important distinction with far-reaching implications for Christian behavior. The deeds of Christians in the present time, however insignificant they may seem, however vain they may appear to those who value worldly success, they are already being built into God's advancing kingdom. That is to say, the small stuff that you do now is being put together into God's work as he's moving forward and reclaiming everything. That yes, this, 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 the year of the Lord's favor is here and all of these things are happening and God's kingdom is moving forward and God says, join me as a part of it. And what you do is have Bless the world by it. That's the role of God's people. And all of that will happen because of this last thought, because of God's promise. God's promise. Uh, Growing up, every New Year's, we had these traditions. And what would happen is we owned the lot next to our house, and we would fill that lot sometimes with seven trees from Christmas, sometimes 47 trees. And what we would do with my dad and I, we'd go and buy 100, 200, 300 bucks worth of fireworks and pump those trees full of it. And then douse it in gasoline. And when, when 12 o'clock hit, what we would do was light that baby on fire. And each year, the, the creative part was we'd, we'd figure out how to light it on fire. Some, the first year, we, we kind of had this metal wire that we tied to a tree and lit toilet paper and it slid down and it lit everything up. We do the classic gas trail and light it up. We do a Roman candle and shoot it into there. We'd have a bow and arrow and shoot it into it on fire. You get the thing. You get the idea. 
that as a little kid, I got to work with my dad and see the joy of this inferno flaming up. And, and, and each year, the same time, my mom would make this smorgasbord of things, this food that filled my belly and this hot chocolate that had 16 pounds of sugar. I, I, I was content. And so for me, New Year's, I can't think of New Year's being anything other than the wonder and the joy because of someone else's labor. And I think Isaiah 61, on a day like January 1st, is to tell us the same thing. That we shouldn't think of New Year's in any other way than enjoying the labors of someone else for us. The promise of God is that he allows us to feel the wonder and the joy because of his labor. And the promise of God is just that. In verse 8 of Isaiah 61, it says that in my faithfulness, in my faithfulness, God says, I will reward my people and make an everlasting covenant with them. The promise of God is that we as his people get to benefit from the labor that he does with us in mind. That God will do the labor and he has. And here's what I mean. In, verse, in, in chapters 3 and 4 of Luke, the gospel in the New Testament tells of the work and life of Jesus. Jesus begins his ministry by being baptized. And after being baptized, he goes into the desert for 40 days and he, he's kind of this perfect Israel. Where they were in the desert for 40 years, failing. He was in the desert for 40 days and being tempted. And right after the 40 years in the desert, he comes, and the first thing, it's the first day in office, essentially. He comes, and he goes into the temple, and he takes the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, and he, it's not a book, doesn't flip the pages, but he rolls it out, and he gets to chapter 61, and he rolls it out, and he reads chapter 61, the same thing that was read for us this morning. And he says the words that were read for us this morning. He says the words that say, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. And Jesus says, because the Lord has anointed me. And Jesus says, he's anointed me to bring good news to the poor. And Jesus says, he has come to send me to bind up the brokenhearted. And Jesus says he's here to proclaim liberty to the captives. And Jesus says he's here to open up the prison for those who are bound. And Jesus says he's here to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus takes up those words. In the first day in office. And in then verse 20 of Luke 4, it says... Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. The Israelites in the Old Testament longed for the truth and the hope of Isaiah 61 to be true. And Jesus is saying in this moment, it's here, right here before you. Isaiah 61 is a big deal to Jesus because it's exactly why he came. He came because he wanted to come, but he came to usher in a kingdom 
or the things, the valley, the hard knocks, the places that we don't want our pain to be wasted will be addressed fully. That he's come to bring his kingdom to bear and it's a kingdom that says you have a price to pay and you don't have to foot the bill. I've got it all fully. I'm here to give you a news that's good enough that you don't have to accomplish it because I've already accomplished it. You don't have to earn it because I give it freely. He's here to say, I'm here to give you the Lord's favor. And in a year, we're not saying 2023 will be marked with the Lord's favor. What we're here to say is we can look on the horizon and say, because Jesus has said, this is fulfilled in your day right before your eyes. We don't have to guard our investments. But in this coming year, you don't have to look at the places where you are investing your life and your money and your time and your talent and your emotions and your hopes and your dreams and your happiness and your heart. You don't have to guard those investments. But because Jesus has said, I'm here to bring a kingdom of beauty and of fullness where you as God's people and I as God's people, we get to feel the pleasure of God. He's saying, you can look at a new year ahead on the horizon, knowing that it will be a showcase of the fact that I am with you and I've come to be for you. Let's pray. Lord, you have promised that in your faithfulness, you will reward your people. Jesus, this very day, would you do just that? Not because of how good we've been, but because, Lord, you've promised it and you've done it. So as we look on the horizon, save us from despair and disenchantment from a year ahead that we could see it as just a potential of so much hurt and pain. And Lord, also save us from a temptation to believe that we can have it all together and fix it and be ahead of the game and win. Give us the gift of dependence because Lord, that is where we feel the gift of delight. We pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Fix it and be ahead of the game and win. Give us the gift of dependence because, Lord, that is where we feel the gift of delight. We pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen.